The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome, everybody, to The Football Five, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Joshua Laurie, and Rachel McCrigger. I'm Stephen Err. So we'll start off the show today by going down the final scores of every game from Week 1. Who won, who lost. The Broncos beat the Panthers 21-20. The Bucks beat the Falcons 31-24. Ravens knocked off the Bills 13-7. The Texans beat the Bears 23-14. Packers beat the Jaguars 27-23. The Chiefs came back to beat the Chargers 33-27 in overtime. The Darius knocked off the Saints 35-34. The Bengals knocked off the Jets 23-22. Eagles dominated the Browns 29-10. The Vikings knocked off the Titans 25-16. The Seahawks survived the Dolphins 12-10. Giants beat the Cowboys 20-19. Lions beat the Colts 39-35. Patriots hold off the Cardinals 23-21. Steelers dominate the Redskins 38-16. And then the 49ers shout out the Rams 28-0. So we'll start week week one takeaways. You know what? I'll go ahead and say it. The Steelers just know how to find wide receivers. I I'm No, not necessarily you guys, but I've had a lot of people chirping at me about the fact that Martavis Bryant's going to be gone for the season and that Marcus Whedon was out and that people were wondering, okay, how are we going to move the ball? Because you could just throw three guys on Antonio Brown and it'll be a done deal. I mean, that clearly wasn't the case. We had guys step up. Sammy Coates, he had some big plays. We had this rookie who came out of nowhere. I mean, Rachel, you know what I'm talking about. There's two things the Steelers do, outside linebackers and wide receivers. Yeah, and the Steelers can only hope and pray that Ryan Shazier, whatever injury he might have, isn't serious. He did say after the game that, you know, they just took him out as a precaution. So maybe that's it. But, yeah, you're right. Eli Rogers, don't sleep on this kid. This kid is a stud. And whenever Marcus Wheaton comes back, he is still going to be in that offense even next year. When Martavis Bryant comes back, if Martavis Bryant does come back, he will still be in that offense. This kid is a stud. He is going to be a stud in the next couple of games. And one thing that I learned about the Steelers this weekend, quit talking about D'Angelo Williams' age because for 33, he sure looks good. And those two touchdowns certainly help prove it. Yeah, as long as Ben Roethlisberger can stay healthy, I am feeling more and more confident in my Super Bowl pick with the Steelers. One thing I saw, and it happened to be yesterday, was the L.A. Rams are going to have a good amount of work to do when they return to Los Angeles this week. I mean, it was just, I it was really a brutal football game to watch. We already knew we were going to have two, one mediocre team and one team that's in the 49ers that we didn't think was going to be so great this year, but... They might have changed our minds a little bit because they just absolutely blew the Rams out of the building yesterday. Todd Gurley only ran for 40 yards. Jared Goff wasn't even active. Case Keenum did not look good at all. They had to punt 10 times. So I guess that's good for Johnny Hecker, not good for the rest of the team. So they're clearly going to have a lot of work to do or else Jeff Fisher could be heading for the unemployment line very soon. He might want to be go- he might want to look at giving Jared Goff some time if their if their season goes down to shoot pretty quickly. But from what we saw yesterday, it was just pure ugliness. I, I mean, yeah, I've got to agree with you. The 49ers did look impressive, and I feel like this defense alone could win five games. But again, we've got to measure our expectations because this was against a team in the Rams who we knew really was going to be running the ball. Sean H- I'm, Case Keenum has been a consistent second-rate starter whenever he started, but you never 
want to go into the season with him as your QB1 because he's limited. And we saw that in the Monday night game. All I'm going to say is this. The Redskins were right in only giving Kirk Cousins the franchise tag. I was right when I keep questioning why Jeff Fisher and Mike Malarkey still have jobs. And I'm pretty sure that I'm right in saying Marcus Mariota is a good quarterback, but if he's not in a Chip Kelly system, hint, hint, 49ers, uh, he's got a lower ceiling than he could. In any way that Blaine Gabbard, of all people, can look as good as he did, mind you, it was against the Rams, but he still showed up. Chip Kelly, the guy can coach. Can't be a general manager. Don't give him the keys to the kingdom, but he can coach. All great points. And I want to go back to Rachel's point. D'Andre Williams, 33 years old, and everyone says he's getting old and all this. He was one of two running backs this week to rush for 100 yards. Him and Lamar Miller of the Houston Texans ran for only two to rush for 100 yards. First time since 1993, we only had two running backs rush for 100 yards in any week in the NFL. So now I want to get to my point, and I cannot stress this enough. For week one, Dak Prescott did not get exposed. He threw for 227 yards. Yes, he didn't throw a touchdown. It should have been a touchdown, but Dez did not catch it again. He did not face any pressure in the first half. O-line was pretty good. Yeah, he had some off-target throws because the pressure in the second half was what really just got to him. He was hit seven times in the second half. And then there was the whole thing with Terrence Williams. Oh, why didn't he not run out of bounds? I, I will never know. If we if he had ran out of bounds, we got a long field goal. Dan Bailey's going to make it. We win the game. We're 1-0. But Dak did not get exposed. He had a very good game against the good Giants defense. Yeah, and listen, there's another point that I want to make, too. I think I agree with you. Dak didn't get exposed. But let's talk about the real team that really surprised a lot of people. The Lions beat the Colts. No, I wouldn't say it was so much the Lions beat the Colts as in the Colts kind of shot themselves in the foot. Right, but Andrew Luck did did throw four touchdowns. That's really that's really impressive from him, especially since last season he did not have the best of seasons. But the fact that the Lions went in and they took the win that w- that surprised me this weekend. Well, obviously yeah. that's just because the biggest surprise is that is that they did it without Megatron. Now, granted, exactly. when you have plays like the last play of the game where you try the hook and ladder so many times you go backwards and end up conceding a safety, those are question marks. But to me, Andrew Luck is kind of back to his form that he started his career. That's nothing new. So mm, everybody was saying, oh, the Colts could win the division, the Colts could win the division. I might have to start looking at that. But it's only week one, so... Let me hop off the overreaction wagon. Here's the thing. There's said when he talked about uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. You're right. Dak Prescott did not get exposed, but I I noticed one thing. They couldn't run the football. I drafted Ezekiel Elliott with the fourth overall pick in last year's NFL draft, thinking that their problem will be solved. And I know it's only week one and he's a rookie, but especially when Tony Romo's out, you got to do better, especially with that offensive line, than 20 carries for 51 yards and a touchdown. I noticed that, that they were not able to move the ball effectively on the ground. Like I said, I understand he's a rookie. It's his first game. But especially when you're playing a defense like the Giants, and I know they had improvements, but they're still not a top-quality defense yet. So if they want to win a good amount of games while Tony Romo is out, in the next couple of weeks they really need to establish that running game and get Ezekiel Elliott comfortable with the system. Yeah. That is something that was a bit concerning, especially because the Cowboys are known for having one of the best offensive lines in football. And as for the Colts, their offense has never been the question for them winning the division. They've got the most offensive talent in the AFC South. It's just that they also have one of the worst defenses to go along with it, especially allowing Matthew Stafford to march down the field late in the fourth quarter with no Megatron and score a touchdown to win the game. 
Eric brought up the point. Stafford threw for 319 yards and three touchdowns. Mega, where's Megatron, though? Well, where's Megatron? Everyone kept saying, oh, they can't do it without Megatron. He, he threw for 319 yards, three touchdowns. They won. I mean, Matt Stafford is at a late quarterback. I mean, you could argue me all day, but he threw for 4,000 yards. every Each one of his five seasons, he's not paced to do it again this year. Staying in the NFC North, by the way, Minnesota. Oh, they, they beat the Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know why they beat the Titans? Turnovers. Two. Not just one, but two turnovers. Return for touchdowns. One was an interception, and one was a fumble. Those ha- that happened. If that didn't happen, the Titans win this game, no doubt. Because Sean Hill, not going to lead them to a win. Adrian Peterson, nineteen carries, thirty-one yards, not going to not going to happen. Yeah, but their defense has been the hallmark of their team. I mean, we all spent so much time talking about Teddy Bridgewater's development as a quarterback last season, and that definitely was a huge part in how they were able to make that jump. But this team has been a defense-first team the last couple of years. Even before they were a playoff team, they were one of the top defenses, and that's how they're going to win games, and that's why I think they could make a push for the playoffs. Yeah, no, we expected that once Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, even when Teddy Bridgewater was healthy, that they were going to need to rely on this defense to make a push for the NFC North once again after winning it last year. Of course, Bridgewater goes down, and now they're going to have to rely probably, I would assume, next week and for the rest of the season on Sam Bradford. Of course, that's not ideal, but they have a top-tier defense with a lot of young talent, and we saw it. It was showcased on Sunday and I, I understand the Titans uh, dominated that game in most categories, but they the saying is defense wins championships, so as long as they have a strong defense, then they're going to be fine. They're going to be in good position to get a wild card spot. But let me make one point. If Adrian Peterson cannot get more than 31 yards, then there is going to be a major problem. They can't rely on getting two turnovers for touchdowns every week. They're going to need to get Adrian Peterson going or else it could be a long year for the Vikings if they can't do that because they cannot rely on their passing game to really do all the work for them. Well, there's a bit of an old saying, and a lot of veteran guys, especially defenders, particularly Warren Sapp and a bunch of others have said this. If you're an elite defense, they tell the quarterback in offense, just say, listen, Get us 17 points, we will win the game. Now, with the rules favored towards the offense and more spread open passing game, let's round that up to 21. Granted, you have one of the best defenses in the league, even with something of a reincarnation of the Purple People Eaters from back in the 70s. But with Adrian Peterson playing in week one like he's pretty much done, relying on Sean Hill, possibly again, because Bradford still may need another week, possibly two, to get the playbook and the language of the offense down before you turn to him. Where are those 21 points going to come from? You had the same thing with all of these great defenses, even in the Rex Ryan era, which you saw with the Bills against the Ravens. Yes, you'll hold a team to 13, but if you only score seven, Instead of being wild card, now you're looking at middle of the pack and more towards higher draft pick status. Couldn't argue with you there. And you know what? Sunday we got a reminder that sometimes in a world of uncertainty, there are just some things that are going to be constants. Like Robert Griffin III not knowing how to slide and the Browns being terrible. Robert Griffin III managed to get and, and put himself on IR, so he's going to be gone until Week 10 at the minimum on a play which should have been a routine run out of bounds or slide. But again, as I said, he doesn't know how to slide. And given the lack of talent on this Browns roster already before Robert Griffin went down. It, it's looking like it's going to be another miserable season for the Cleveland football fans. But hey, at least you got a championship in the NBA. So 
you've got that Cleveland looking up for you. You know, it's really sad. And my reader, my reader football guys know this. We see teams fold all the time. I don't know if the NFL team has ever folded, but it's time for the Browns to go because every year is just terrible. And another year of terrible is coming. As a Steelers fan, I love it. As a football fan, it's kind of getting boring. Death, taxes, and Browns futility. And to answer that question, I believe the last NFL team to fold was at some point in the 30s. Might have been early 40s. Technically, if we include... We're talking about the 50s when the first Dallas Texans... Of course, there was... Uh, AFL franchise named the Dallas Texans who would move to Kansas City and become the Chiefs. Yeah, we're not counting that 1962 team that went to Kansas City. That They didn't fold. They changed. He's the Oilers that are folded. They changed. Well, the no, no. There was a Houston a Dallas Texans team in the yeah. 50s before the AFL Dallas Texans who became the Chiefs. Yeah, I think their last year in Dallas was like 1962 because I used to play Madden 07. And you could play as the 1962 Dallas Texans. After that, it was the Chiefs. Yeah. Adam. But I was but saying anyway. there was a team before that, like 10 years before that. Right, That folded right. after one season, also named the Dallas Texans. Right. Speaking of rookies, by the way, Carson Wentz. It might have been against the Browns, but what an impressive debut. 278 yards, two touchdowns. Very impressive. Yeah, yeah he really that. made Cleveland have to think long and hard if that was the right choice to trade down. He definitely looks sharp, and I especially uh, can point to that on his first touchdown pass, a beautiful pass to Jordan Matthews. He looked sharp. He was ready for week one, unlike someone who was drafted number one overall in Los Angeles. I mean, this guy looks sharp. He looks like he's going to be ready for the rest of the year, and maybe he can lead the Eagles to a surprise season that if you listen to our NFL preview show, we didn't think would be possible. So if he keeps it up, if they can stay healthy – then who knows? We could get some surprises, but he definitely looks sharp. I know it's against a team that's the closest thing to a college team that there is in the NFL, but you have to be fair and understand that this was his first game, and he looked pretty darn sharp, so we can give him some credit for that, and let's see if he can continue this throughout the rest of the season. This is always why when everybody talked about the quality of talent at a school like North Dakota State, They've won five consecutive championships for a reason. I had mentioned before, Wentz knows how to deal with pressure situations. He came up in spades week one. And and if this keeps going, Dylan's right. The Eagles could be a force to be reckoned with. Oh, yeah. Their future is looking bright, and it looks like they were on to something with that Sam Bradford trade getting back a first-round pick, which was one of the things they dealt away to draft Carson Wentz. Rachel, you're a, a Philadelphia native. Not a Philadelphia native, a Pennsylvania native. Well, How do you feel about Carson Wentz's debut, being a Steelers fan? Well, I don't believe the hype about Carson Wentz, given the fact that he is on an Eagles team with, from what I've seen, doesn't have a lot of promise on offense, but a lot of promise on defense. So I really don't believe the hype when it comes to Pennsylvania teams. I'm all focused on the Steelers. But hey, if he does if he does well, then he does well. Kudos for him. But uh, yeah, I think he had a pretty good debut. But And I know you guys said this, but it, it is against the Browns. So because of that, I really can't believe the hype. Yeah, he looked good out there, but he's no young Ben Roethlisberger. No, no young Big Ben. Uh, I don't know. If the, I didn't watch the game last night, the Steelers or Redskins, and Redskins or the Rams and Niners, because uh, there was a lot of other things on TV that I decided to watch. Did Did Josh Norman ever cover Antonio Brown? There were like maybe- a lot of times it was Bouchard Breland, which to the uh, which today I still have no understanding as to why. But it was very rarely when he was on Antonio Brown's side. Most of the time it was Bashad Breland. All right, Dylan, if you let me put my scouting hat on, I can actually break it down. So part of the thing that makes Josh Norman so good is the fact that he is a cover shut. He's a zone 
shutdown corner. He's not a guy who goes and plays a lot of man-to-man. He's a lot like Richard Sherman in that. They're big physical guys. They come up, they make tackles, and they're great reacting to the ball, but they're not going to, they don't have the foot speed to stick with elite wide receivers. We've seen when what happens when you put these guys, these who are built to play cover two, into man-to-man defenses. Uh, if you look at Namdi Asamwao, when he moved from the Oakland Raiders to the Philadelphia Eagles a couple of years ago, he went from being the top cornerback along with Darrell Revis to being a guy who was burned routinely. So they knew that Josh Norman's skill set wasn't going to be locking down Antonio Brown. And I got to say that I think that was the right decision from a coaching perspective. Of course, it would have helped if Josh Norman hadn't been running his mouth all week like he was going to be playing man on Antonio Brown. Expert analysis there from Josh DeLore. You want, you want to listen to more of that? You can listen to him on the, on the Ricardo Report over on Fox Sports 1340 AM radio. Another team, Dale Dillon's team, Jacksonville. I, we expected them to compete 2016, but the way they competed against Green Bay impressed me so much. Like, they were a yard away from possibly winning the game. Yes, I was very impressed with them. It was a tough loss, and the players definitely expressed that in their post-game interviews. But for the first game of the year, a new, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of new pieces on this team. So there's a lot to get used to, a lot of new rookies, a lot of new players. I was really impressed with how they played. Blake Bortles, other than throwing that interception, at, uh, other than throwing that interception, 24-39, 320 yards and a touchdown, which is pretty solid considering the fact who he's going up against. Aaron Rodgers, who, of course, was... Magical as he always is, 20, 34, 200, uh, 199 yards and two touchdowns. I was really impressed, though, with how the defense played, especially considering who they were going up against. Like I said, Aaron Rodgers. There were a lot of times where they just couldn't do anything about it, whether or not they, they – let me just say this. They made it as tough as they can on him to try to force a turnover or get a sack. But, of course, there were some times – when they couldn't do it because Aaron Rodgers is the closest thing to a wizard that there is. But what I was impressed with most, especially with this being a young team, they converted a lot of fourth downs. I'm not exactly sure the exact amount, but I believe the only fourth down they didn't convert was the one at the end of the game, which ended up losing them the game. So they pretty much converted on almost every fourth down that they tried, and they tried a lot in that game. So I was impressed giving it a young team in week one that they were able to convert all these fourth downs and come up big in pressure situations. Now, was it a tough loss? Of course, but you have to look at the positive side that they have a lot to build on. And for the future, if they can hang with the Packers team, like like they like they saw on Sunday, this could be a team like a lot of us thought on when we did our season preview show. This could be a team that can make a lot of noise in January. Yeah, they could definitely make some noise. And then um, the other team that I that I think a few of us picked as our other sleeper was Darius. Very gutsy call going for a two-point conversion down by one with about 30 seconds left. But they, they, they pulled it off. I'm not surprised that they won in New Orleans, but the, that call, though. like, what, what was your guys' reaction to that call? Yeah, no, it was one of those moments where you think, what, what are they doing? That is such a bad call. And then once they convert, it's like, oh, great call. I mean, it, there was a lot of guts that had to be used on that play. But the Raiders are expecting to be a playoff team this year. They have high expectations. So they figure they don't want to go to overtime. They've played in a tough game, a lot of offense. Their defense is tired. They just want to go and win it now. Of course, they were a few yards on a 61-yard field goal away from not winning the game. But they held up, and they figured, why not? We have nothing to lose. It's week one. Why don't we get? Why don't we try to get our season off to a strong start with a win on the road against one of the best quarterbacks in football. It was a very gutsy call. It took a lot of guts to take this call, and I was surprised when they were first calling it. But at the end, it turned out to be a great call because it ended up winning them the game. I loved it. You want a coach who's ready to pull off those risks and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to leave this up, okay? We want to get out of here. We've got a game next week. 
I've got players who are going to be a little banged up. Let's get out of here. Let's not take the risk of any other injuries and put this in the hands of a fi- of a coin flip because if they lose that coin flip and Drew Brees goes down and scores a touchdown, that's game over. They lost anyways. I might as well do it. I applaud Jack Del Rio for his call and also his tweet game because he, he went right at ESPN because they tweeted out about the winning percentage odds if he kicked rather than went for two. Personally, to me, that was a typical Del Rio call. Remember him from his coaching days down here in Jacksonville? And I loved it. I thought in a situation like that, why not? Even though you're on the road, you've got a young team, and when you put it that kind of a situation in the hands of a young quarterback like Derek Carr, that immediately gives him the confidence because he says, hey, my coach has a faith in me to pretty much win or lose the game. He wants the ball in my hands. I'm going to take it and do something with it. Lo and behold, they get it. They wind up winning the game. And that's going to be some of the momentum that they need. I said 10 wins was plausible for Oakland. Eh? Well, one down, nine to go. I liked the call. Thought it was good. I always like to see gutsy calls by head coaches. It was. It kind of reminded me of like a Mike Tomlin esque call because Mike Tomlin loves going for two, and so seeing Jack Del Rio do that, I thought that was a good call. Good point there, Mike Tomlin. The Steelers they don't like this new rule, thirty three yard extra points. So they said, you know what? Every time we score, we're going for two. Forget this. And I, I, I agree with them. I don't like the thirty three point, the thirty three yard extra point either. I think it's ridiculous. That's like field goal. It's not an extra point anymore. Uh, okay. New England. I mean, we all said that Arizona's going to rip New England a new one Sunday night. And what happens? They go into the desert and win. Hey, jaw dropped. We can run the tape back. I said it was going to be a close game. I did hedge a bet and say that Arizona was going to win, as they should have. But apparently the evil wizard that is Bill Belichick used some Jedi mind tricks to get the kick to miss. But I still was impressed by Jimmy Garoppolo. He he wasn't a world beater by any means, but he showed that he is a competent NFL quarterback, which is a better starter than about five teams I can think of. Yeah, I was pretty shocked by the results because if you're uh, if you listen to our show, I didn't think it was gonna be very close. This is Jimmy Garoppolo's first career start. He's going on the road against one of the best defenses in the league, and then what do you know? They've dominated the first half. Of course, at the end of the first half, it looked like the tides were turning, but uh, kid you not, it came down to a game-winning field goal attempt by Chandler Canzero that was missed, and Bill Belichick, look, he could have third stringers on that field, and he can still win. That is just how quality of a coach he is. He Remember, not only did he not have Tom Brady, he didn't have Rob Gronkowski, he didn't have Rob Ninkovich, he didn't have three-fifths of his offensive line, he was missing his integral parts of his team and he's and they were still able to pull it off jimmy garoppolo as we mentioned had very very good stats 24 33 264 yards and a touchdown no interceptions was a was a was a rather clean game for him especially in his first start so for me i as i've i found out that the patriots are going to be fine without tom brady as they've proved here now they have three more games that are at home they do have some games against like the Texans and the Bills that are going to be tough. One a divisional game and then uh, a game on Thursday Night Football. But Garoppolo proved he's a competent quarterback. They proved they don't need their, their number one starters at every position to pull off a win. And they proved that we can predict for them to be close to the Super Bowl because they pulled off a, a road win, and this is without most of their integral starters. So they proved a lot. And it really shouldn't have. I probably should have just remembered that they have a wizard as their coach. So now we can take away that really nothing phases Bill Belichick. Oh, there are harsher terms that I can use for wizard about Bill Belichick and how this always seems to happen. And 
There are some things that I would normally say in other situations that I will refrain from for now, but uh, can someone just stop him, do something, I don't know, voodoo doll, whatever, because this is just borderline unfair. Is Jimmy Garoppolo going to wind up being yet another Matt Castle? That's what I want to know. Yeah, and that's that's what I want to know too. Garoppolo, yeah, he I hate to admit it, but he had a good game, had a really great game. But I want to know, is this going to be another Matt Castle thing? Is this going to be because four games in, Garoppolo is going to be the starter, and after that fourth game, Tom Brady's going to come back and take the reins. There's no doubt about it. But when Matt Castle was being tested, so to say. He had more than just four games. So is four games going to be enough for teams to see, hey, maybe this is another Matt Castle thing? I don't know. Is four games going to be enough? With some of the deals that uh, quarterbacks have gotten in the past, I like to think of uh, Matt Flynn getting stupid money for a useless Week 16 game. It wouldn't surprise me, but what's more likely is the trade market will open up as more injuries happen or some of these teams are dissatisfied with their short-term quarterback prospects. Cleveland Browns and Chicago Bears, I'm looking at you. I mean, I I said this is the toughest opponent they're going to face. So now I'm saying the Patriots are going 4-0 without Tom Brady. This is is, happening. Allow me to get another bottle of champagne on standby. (laughs) All right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Our week one preview is up. We preview week two. Next! It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. What's going on? It's your man, D.A. And it's your man, Durant. Reminding you to make sure you tune in live tonight at 8 p.m. for another brand new episode. Man, we got DJ Grip in the house, DJ and live on the ones and twos. Yes, sir. It's going to be a good time. So make sure you tune in to Win and Lose Radio. And WTTSRadio.com. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. All right, welcome back to the Football Five. Dylan Goldman, Eric Watkins, Joshua Lurie, Rachel McCrigger, Stephen Earl, along with you. So, guys, now we to go. Week, we go from week one. We go to week two, where we preview all the games that's going on this week. Not not preview every game that's going on this weekend, but just to look ahead to what we're what we could what we're looking forward to. I know our Steelers fans here, Josh and Rachel, Steelers-Bengals. I know you guys are looking forward to that game big time. Oh, that is going to be a good one. And even better is that it's at Heinz Field. So the Steelers have home field advantage. They're ready to go. You know, we might not have Bryant, Bell. We may not have Wheaton next week. But like I said earlier, Eli, Eli Rogers has proven to be a stud. We got Williams. We've got a solid defense from what I've seen. So I can see us going in there and winning. It's time to get our revenge again and rub our noses back into Cincinnati's face. I'm a little less confident about this game. I... As you guys know, during the preview show, I picked the Bengals to win the division, and it's going to come down to these games. And here's the thing. The Bengals are turning into the Browns, not the Browns. They were the Browns before the Browns in the 90s, but they're turning into the 
Ravens of the 2000s. And one thing that happened in every one of those games was that the home team never won. I see that the deficiencies and limited offensive potential because of guys like Bell, Bryant, and Wheaton being out comes back to bite us, especially when we're going up against A.J. Green, who our secondary has never been able to really deal with. It's going to be a great game, a close game, but the Bengals get this one by a touchdown. Wow. I mean, uh, I know I know A.J. Green had, what, 188 receiving yards against Revis Island last week, but I wouldn't pick the, I wouldn't pick the Bengals, though. I mean... The Steelers have a much better defense than the Jets, I believe. So I've, I've, I would pick the Steelers to win this one. I'm going with the Steelers, too. I say Steelers win by 10 points. I'm trying to reverse jinx this, okay? So i got to pick against the Steelers. Yeah, this is going to be one of those games like last year. It's just going to be an old-school football game, low-scoring, going to come down to the wire, maybe a field goal, a turnover. Something is going to change this game at the very end of it. I have the Steelers winning by a field goal. I think it's going to come down to the end, but I think they have enough. They looked really solid in Week 1, so I think they have enough to beat the Bengals, but it's going to be a tough one. You know, the Steelers uh, know too well about the Bengals' defense and A.J. Green. It's going to be a tough one, but I got the Steelers by a field goal. While I would love to see a wonderful repeat of last year's playoff game minus the Vontae Burfick stupidity, the Bengals should be lucky that this isn't a prime time or a spotlight game Otherwise, they would easily be blown out of the stadium. But I think with the kind of efficiency that the Steelers showed last night, especially on offense, especially D'Angelo Williams scoring twice and combining for nearly 200 yards, I think Steelers have this, I would say, I don't want to say double digits this early in this season, but... If it's more than a touchdown, I wouldn't be shocked. Most of these 1 o'clock games aren't as interesting as the 405 games, but there is one 1 o'clock game, besides the Steelers and Bengals, that really catches my eye. Houston and Kansas City. This is the third time they meet in two seasons. Last two times, both were in Houston. This one's also in Houston. The Chiefs have just laid it on the on the Texans. I don't see that happening this time around. Yeah, we were talking about this in our group message, and I said that I gave the Chiefs no credit for going down three scores to the lowly Chargers, and no credit for coming back because that's what they were supposed to do. I feel like the Texans, with a competent quarterback, should be able to avenge the embarrassing home playoff loss they suffered last January. I wouldn't be quick to say avenge because this is a Chiefs team that has won now 12 consecutive regular season games and on the order of 13 of their last 14. I mean, if Brock Osweiler can continue to step up, try to get things going to someone other than DeAndre Hopkins, fine, but... With what I saw and what the Chiefs can do when they're at their best, Chiefs can take this one. It's going to be close, but they've been there before. Yeah, definitely. I don't think this. I don't know if I have full confidence in the Texans yet to take down one of the AFC's top teams. We saw them struggle with the Bears last week. We saw them struggle with the Bears last week. Of course, the Chiefs struggle with the Chargers. Pretty much, it's really hard to dominate in week one you're still getting some things fine-tuned so we're really gonna see what these two teams are all about this week and next week as we get a little bit closer towards the middle of the season but for right now Spencer Ware is in line to start again and if we're uh, gonna take last week's game as a parameter for how well he's gonna do 
then he's going to do very well because he absolutely dominated. Of course, this is a much better defense than the Texans, but I don't know if the Texans have it all set up and ready to beat a team like the Chiefs. It's going to be much closer than 30-zip, but I still will give the Chiefs a little bit of a nod in this one, maybe by a touchdown. I have to give the Texans the nod on this one. I think being at home is going to have a huge advantage. I think their defense is just way too hard to stop. Defense wins championships, guys. And I think that they're going to have a fire under them from that last game, just like Josh said. And I think they are going to want to, whether we say avenge or not, they're going to want to do something. Also, I noticed something about this week in particular at 1 o'clock. Another game that did catch my eye is Saints-Giants. If we remember this game last year, I believe it was 52-49. Absolutely an offensive shootout. Of course, they're changing locations, but same quarterbacks, similar defenses that allowed all that craziness to happen. We could see another shootout this weekend at the Meadowlands because, like I said, we have, this, we have same quarterbacks. Both teams have the weapons that they had last year. And the defenses, I know the Giants are improved, but they still are both not capable of stopping each other. So that's another game that will catch my eye this weekend. The Giants actually have even more weapons now that the return of the salsa is finally upon us. I, I may not only be getting some popcorn, but I may have to do some tweaking of my fantasy lineups to prepare for that one. Hey, I'm just saying the Giants are going to be a problem. They've got one of the most explosive offenses in the league, Eli Manning. He's finally the only Manning in the NFL, so he can truly come out of his younger, older brother's shadow. And I think he's going to put together his best season ever this year, especially having his main man, Victor Cruz, back. I mean, nobody has seen Victor Cruz and Odell Beckham on the same field, save for week one. This is going to be deadly. Once again, Dylan opens my eyes to something. I totally forgot about the week eight, week eight game when the, Saints, the Giants went down to New Orleans and Manning threw, what, six touchdowns? Breathe through seven? I totally forgot about that shootout. The last game I remember from the Giants-Saints was when, uh, I forget the name of the Giants running back, but he had to, he, had to re- he was forced to retire after that season. The Giants just blew the Saints out at the Meadowlands. I had a feeling this is, that was going to be the same here. Now I think back to the Week 8 game and what happened last week with the Raiders, 400 yards, four touchdowns for Drew Brees. Dylan's right. This is going to be a game to watch the Meadowlands. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those old cliches of the scoreboard is going to get a workout. And especially, even though, yes, as it's been said, the Giants are in improved defense. Um, Let's look at what the Raiders did. New Orleans doesn't mind getting in a shootout because they think that they can go right ahead and outscore you. And the fact that both of these teams can strike quick and have a half-decent running game, eh, and now I realize, as we're all saying this, it might end up something like what happened with Miami and Seattle. But either way, we're either going to be scratching our heads or, well, enjoying ourselves. Yeah, that's going to be a great game to watch. Dylan made a great point. Now, I want to go back. So we were supposed to talk about this the first half of the show. But we never got to it. Josh, you and the Bucks. Jameis Winston lit it up last week. Four touchdowns to four different receivers, and the Bucks pull off the upset at the Georgia Dome. They have such a much bigger challenge this week, though. The Cardinals, I mean, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 264 against the Cardinals' defense, but it's still the Cardinals' defense. So the, yeah. this is, the, go ahead. I, I, I've been a big fan of Jameis Winston. I've got to give love to my homie, Mike Callia, who has been blowing up our group message every Sunday for the last year about how Jameis is going to lead the Bucks to the promised land. 
But that's not happening this week, okay? He's going to come back to earth. We're talking about one of the best defenses. Chandler Jones, we didn't talk about him because he, he was a beast in that Sunday night game. He's still one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He's going to have Jameis playing around, looking, trying to get the ball out as soon as possible. I mean, also, they got Matt Taya. Sorry, they got Tywin Matthew and Patrick Patterson patrolling the back end. It's going to be a learning experience for my man Jameis, but ultimately it will help him progress into the top five quarterback I think he can be. Yes, it's going to be a very difficult game, and I'm not downgrading or derailing the Falcons here, but let's be honest. This is a much different team than the Atlanta Falcons. I understand the Cardinals lost. They looked. They had a little bit of a lackluster performance. But remember, they have one of the one of the best defenses, one of the most strong, one of the strongest defenses in the league, and they showcased that at times on Sunday night. And this is going to be a big challenge, and this is going to be a big test for Jameis Winston going on the road, going to one of the best defenses in the league, as I've mentioned. And the Cardinals are going to look for a bounce back. We we heard about their general manager John Kime expressing a lot of dissatisfied, uh, being so dissatisfied at his team's performance last week. They're going to want to make a statement to the league that they're still Super Bowl Fifty One contenders. They're going to want to make a statement that they are one of the best teams in the NFC. So they're going to come out with a lot of vengeance from last week. They're disappointed with the loss, so it's going to be very difficult for James Winston to replicate that performance. But if he plays. Just a just half of that. If he plays semi, if he plays decent enough to have his team close in the game, then that's going to say a lot about the Florida State former Florida State quarterback. I'm telling you, if he lights it up on Sunday against Arizona, that's going to be a big topic for next week's show because I'm going to be so impressed. I didn't see that last season when he was a rookie. I mean, they had pretty close games. He did perform well against the Eagles. But other than that, I don't see much from Winston. Throwing, doing what he did against the Falcons, if he does that against the Cardinals, I'm, I'm going to be swept away. I'm going to be absolutely mind-boggled right there. So there's an NFC West rivalry game going on this weekend. The first game in Los Angeles since 1994. Rams host the Seahawks. Now there's a problem in Seattle with a little trouble, trouble brewing. Russell Wilson springed his ankle against the Dolphins. You guys feel that might be a little problem against the Rams? No. Yeah, I'm hearing reports that they're gonna try. They're gonna they're gonna try to play him, and he looks all right. I don't think it's definitely not gonna be a long term problem. Could it bug him a little bit, and could it prevent him from being a little bit more mobile than he typically is? Maybe, but it's definitely not gonna have a a big effect on him in this game. Like I said before, the Rams are gonna have a lot of work to do. That doesn't mean, of course, that they cannot win this game, but judging off of what they uh, played like last night, it's going to take a lot from them this week to have a chance in that game. As for the injury before, like I said, I don't think it's going to have too big of an impact. Maybe on a couple of runs it's going to impact them a little bit, but in the long run it's really not going to have that big of an impact on them. Yeah, I don't feel like there's going to be too much of a big impact either. Russell Wilson has proven that he can be mobile. And even with a sprained ankle, that's not the end of the world. It's not a broken ankle. Sure, they might give him a break here or there, run the ball a lot more. But I don't think it's going to be too much of a deal. It's not going to be a deal because there's no way this Rams offense is going to score against the Seahawks defense, they aren't the legion of boom that they were, say, two, three years ago, but they're still great. They're also going to stack the box, so it's going to be another hard night out for my man Todd Gurley. And I wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh's own Aaron Donald is suspended, at least for next week, after his his episode during the Monday night game. Let, let's call it that. Not to mention, yes, the Rams were able to get pressure on Blaine Gabbert all throughout that game, but this that wasn't even really 
built as part of their offense. Blaine Gabbert just had to deliver. With this kind of read option offense, even on two taped up ankles, Russell Wilson is going to be just fine. And even with him injured, they still managed to both with and without score 12 points. That was able to win them the game. Again, 17, 20. I don't think the Rams are even going to come close. So I just want to give a shout out to Josh and Rachel. Thank you for let for the Steelers beat dominating the Redskins last night. Because now the Cowboys for at least one week are not at the bottom of the NFC East. Thank thank you. Thank you for that. I was rooting for the Steelers to win anyway, but I needed that after the Cowboys did what they did against the Giants. But now it's time to make up for that. Because the Cowboys traveled to Washington to take on the Redskins. Not only am I looking for the Cowboys to win so they don't sit at the bottom of the NFC East come next Tuesday morning, I'm also looking for Dak Prescott to improve. Again, he didn't throw a touchdown. He had off-target throws. Um, Yeah, the offensive line struggled, but so did he. I'm looking for him to do better. You know, I'm sorry, Stephen. I hate to say this, but I think that the Cowboys are going to win. And I... Again, sorry. I hate the Cowboys. Why are I, you apologizing to Steven? He's a Cowboys re- fan. Really? I'm, I'm sorry, but the Cowboys are going to win. I hate the Cowboys. That's why I'm saying sorry ahead of time. But I, I hate to say it. I really don't want to say it. But I think the Cowboys are going to win this game. I hope they don't. But I think they are. Yeah, the two rookies that are starting in the most crucial positions on offense are going to need to do a lot better. Dak Prescott looked good enough for his first game being a fourth-round pick, not really having the expectation to be anywhere close to starting. He looked fine. He needs to improve. He needs He needs to make some improvement and some strides. There were some off-target throws. Didn't get to throw a touchdown, but that's not always a necessity. And like I said earlier in the show, Ezekiel Elliott needs to get going. They drafted him with the fourth overall pick, which is usually – a little high for running back for a reason. And behind this offensive line, he had high expectations. So this game is going to be a big test for him to see. I'm not asking for a huge performance, but he needs to do a little bit better than 51 yards. He needs to up that number to prove that he is going to be a a legitimate running back. So he needs to improve, and so does Dak Prescott. But all in all, it's going to be a close game. I personally think that the is this this game is in Washington, correct? Yes. Okay, so it's going to be a very close game, but I still don't think uh, Prescott and Elliott will have made the strides to go on the road and meet a divisional opponent quite yet. It's going to be a very close game, but this also hinges on how well Kirk Cousins can do. He did not look very good uh, yesterday. But I'm going to give the slight, slight edge to the Reds, uh, to the Washington football team just to uh, avoid saying that name. I'm going to give them a field goal win, very close game. I just don't think that those two rookies are prepared enough to go on the road and beat a divisional opponent. You know what? Here's my thoughts on the game. Uh, it's summed up in this tweet Mia Khalifa sent out last night. And it was a picture of Joanne the Scammer, and she's saying... That's how Kirk Cousins has to be going home after pulling off the biggest scam of 2016. He is not a franchise quarterback. There's a reason why he wasn't locked into a big-time deal. And going up against a Dallas offense who can put points on the board with Dak Prescott being a hybrid quarterback who can actually throw from the pocket, which is something that I feel wasn't... was underrated with him coming out of Mississippi State and Ezekiel Elliott possibly getting more touches and getting out into the open field more it's going to be a shootout and I don't think that the red faces have the firepower to keep up so I'm going to go with a big win for the Cowboys let me just start by saying in my eyes Mia Khalifa redeemed herself for that tweet for reasons I will get into on another show. But, Jay Gruden, let's face it. Yes, it's only after week one. But for me, 
I'm putting a little bit of a fire under his seat. Defensively, can they learn from their mistakes? I understand what Josh mentioned earlier about Josh Norman and his skill set going from cover two to man to man. But honestly, if you brought him in to be something of a shutdown corner, let him at least attempt to be that guy. Otherwise, that's yet another Dan Snyder mistake. That's not on you and your coaching staff. If they can learn from that and at least get Norman some plays on Des Bryant to attempt to neutralize him, Washington might have a chance. Otherwise, Cowboys could easily run away with it. I trust Dak Prescott a lot more than I do Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and I brought this up again in the preview show we did last week. He could be Kirk Cousins could be another RG three. So far, he's proven that. A one hit wonder. You give him, you give him the franchise tag, and then he does terrible, and then you move on to the next quarterback, next year's draft. So it is time, ladies and gentlemen, to make our picks for week two. We start with our blowout game, followed by the game that we feel like will go down the wire. And our upset of the week. Eric, start us off for three games. Well, honestly, looking at the schedule, looking at these past performances, I got to say it. My blowout game is going to be Seahawks-Rams. I feel disappointed to everybody that's going to be at the Coliseum. I hope that it's going to be packed. First game for the Rams in L.A. since 94. But... You've got really nothing to offer. Nothing on offense, nothing on defense. And honestly, maybe if you went to the old school blue and white uniforms of the 60s and 70s, channel the ghosts of guys like Deacon Jones, that's going to change. The one game that I think could be close, oddly enough, Jaguars-Chargers. You know how well that the Jaguars can compete, even though they don't really travel out west that much? But with the Chargers, they got out to a great start, but now they're going to be missing Keenan Allen. I think with the rest of the wide receivers and the fact that they have a similar mentality to the Steelers with the next man up, they'll do just enough. Even with the trip out west, I think the Jaguars are shown they're for real. They don't want their coach fired. They want to be taken seriously. So I think while they may not run away with it, they're going to do just enough to compete and get over the hump. As far as an upset special, granted, I'm not high on the Titans. I'm not high on Mike Mularkey, but points brought up earlier. If the Titans don't give up those two turnovers for touchdowns, like that pick six, they win that game. And with Detroit, I don't see what they have in their secondary to really stop someone who is surprisingly as accurate as Marcus Mariota is. That one, while the Lions look like they should win that game, I don't think they do. Dylan, your three picks for the week. All right, so my blowout game is going to come in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is going to be the Panthers and the 49ers. The Panthers enter as the largest favorite of the week with a 13. They enter with 13 as 13 point favorites. The 49ers showed us a lot. Against the Rams, they just blew them out of the stadium yesterday. 28 nothing, Just complete domination. But they're playing a completely different animal on Sunday. The Panthers are going to look for vengeance last week. They were not happy, first of all, what happened to Cam Noonan and his repeated hits. And that they were a field goal away from winning that game. So they're going to come back angry. It's their first home game since the NFC Championship debacle last last year when they absolutely blew out Arizona. For me, I don't think San Francisco has enough to keep up with Carolina's offense. I think Carolina's offense is just going to score a lot of points 
and it's just not going to be even fairly close for the 49ers. So for me, that's my blowout game. It very easily could be a three-touchdown game, but that's just not going to be a pretty game. My close game of the week is a game that we've talked about before, and we've all pretty much agreed that it'll be a close game, and that is the Bengals and the Steelers. This is a divisional rivalry. It'll be an old-school football game, as it always is. Last year when it was in Pittsburgh, I believe the score was like 13-10 or 13-9 or 16-10, something around that score. So it's going to be an old-school game. Steelers are only favored by three, which is typical for home teams. So this is expected to be a close game. It's going to be a close game because we've got two very solid quarterbacks. Of course, Ben Roethlisberger is in a completely different league than Andy Dalton, but Dalton has proven to be a solid NFL quarterback. So we got those quarterbacks there. We've got Antonio Brown and A.J. Green, two of the two of the league's best wide receivers, and we just have the divisional rivalry. So this is going to be a very close game. Like I said earlier, Steelers will win by a field goal as they are projected to according to Las Vegas, and that's all it's going to be. And for my upset of the week, in in people's minds, it might not seem like too big of an upset, but according to Las Vegas, it would be, and that's going to be on Monday Night Football when the Eagles play the Bears. The Bears are three-point favorites over the Eagles, and I think the Eagles are going to overcome that spread and beat the Bears. The Bears were very unimpressive last week against the Texans, and the Eagles, despite playing the Browns, looked very sharp, and so did Carson Wentz, their quarterback. I think they moved to 2-0 and on the season, which is quite surprising. I think they definitely have the potential to pull off this upset. It is on the road, but Chicago didn't show me enough last week to tell me that they are going likely going to win this game. So I'm going to give Philadelphia the benefit of the doubt here because they looked sharp last week, one of the few teams that did. And I think they will pull off the upset. I think it's going to be a close game, but they definitely, I think, are going to pull off that upset. All right, Josh. So my blowout of the week, it's going to be the 49ers when they travel to Carolina to play the team that somebody on this show predicted to go 19-0. The Carolina Panthers. The 49ers are feeling very high off of that dominant win, but the fact remains is they don't have a lot of talent on that team. Their front seven is legit, but Cam Newton is going to move around much better than Blaine Gabbert and definitely better than Case Keenum did, and he's going to be able to avoid the rush. As for my upset of the week... Technically isn't an upset, but I've got the Raiders beating the Falcons. I know, but I when I went through the games, I didn't have any upsets happening this weekend, and that's the closest thing I could think to. Just if we go off of track record historically, the Falcons have been one of the better teams, and the Raiders over the last two years have been on the come up, but before that they had been sorry for about a decade. What about your close game of the week? Close game of the week, it's going to be at Hinesfield. It's going to be rocking and rolling when the Bungles come to town. Okay. Rachel. All right. So for my blowout game of the week, I think I have to go with My thing will load so I can see the actual games this week. There we go. I'm going to go with the Eagles and the Bears. I don't think the Bears stand a chance against the Eagles. I have the Eagles winning that game. For my close game, I have the Buccaneers and the Cardinals. Jameis Winston, like you guys said, lit it up the other night. And I think Arizona still has... They held tight with New England, so I think that'll be a close one. And my upset is going to be... The 49ers over the Panthers. That is a big upset. 
49ers over the Panthers. I wow. Oh my great picks by everybody, of course. Now it's my turn. Blowout of the week. One sec. Well, I, I, I'll just start my close game. My close game is going to be... One sec. All right, you know what? I'm just going to start my upset. Sorry for the difficulty here. Upset of the week, the Bucks. They're not going to... They're going to the desert. They're knocking off Arizona. Again. Jameis Winston... Four touchdowns, four receivers. Yes, it was against the. It was against the. Oh, pardon me, I'm, I've lost myself here. All right, so my upset of the week is the Bucks over the Cardinals. James Winston's not going to throw four touchdowns, four receivers against the Falcons, but if Jimmy Garoppolo can light it up, so can James Winston. I'll, now I'm not saying. It's going to it's gonna happen again. No, four touchdowns, four receivers. But I would love to see that happen. I would love to see James Winston show us what he's really made of. Blowout of the week. Eric called it his upset, I think, or his close game. The Chargers stand absolutely no chance against the Jaguars. The Jaguars are going to put up 40 points against this Chargers defense. It's going to be ugly. Absolutely. Just, just so ugly. My close game of the week, I'm going with you guys, Steelers Bengals. It's going to be a great AFC North rivalry game, and that can come down to the wire. I would hope the Steelers win because Bengals are. I feel like the Bengals will struggle without Tyler Eifert. They didn't last week because AJ Green had a career day, but he's he might not repeat that. He might come close, but I don't think it'll be enough to get the win for the Steelers for the Bengals. So that is going to do it here for the Football Five. Alongside Eric Watkins, Joshua Lurie, Dylan Goldman, and Rachel McCurry, I'm Stephen Err. Enjoy week two. We'll be back next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, here on the WTM Network to recap it all and preview week three. Until then, we will see you. The following podcast is a WTM Network. And that was annoying.